And just like that, we're back. Second time in one week, the Devin News Podcast Unplugged, because now all we do is we promote True Social and we talk to people that are involved in the news. And Victor Davis Hanson, you can follow him at True Social at VDH. He's a professor uh, out of the Hoover Institute at Stanford University, but he's also my friend, my mentor, my neighbor. We are both fellow farmers, although some of the time or a lot of the time now I'm in Florida now living in the free state of Florida part of the time. Victor is still stuck in the hellhole known as California. <laughs> but Victor, uh, welcome back to the show. And I just want to start out with last night, the State of the Union, uh, True Social blew it up. We had uh, Donald Trump was live truthing on True Social. Uh, we're going to get the numbers later today, but I think we had double uh, the users in just like a matter of just an hour or two. Uh, which was simply amazing to to watch. And I want to thank all of you who who are on True Social all the time. You keep uh, helping us break new records. But yesterday was for sure a record, and we'll be releasing those uh, those numbers as soon as we get them uh, later today. But, Victor, uh, I went to uh, some, I don't know, almost 20 State of the Unions. Uh, I think one of them I got out of because I got to be one of those designees from Congress, so I had to go to a hidden location um, in case something happened and they had to reconstitute uh, the Congress. I would have been one of those one of those uh, lucky uh, guys that would have survived. But anyway, so I think I went to 19 of them. And last night was something that I, I I thought I was watching it on TV, and it looked like I was watching the House of Commons in the United Kingdom. So, Victor, welcome. And what say you about last night? Yeah, I agree. I mean, well. I I was on Tucker last night and I suggested that he, before it started, I said he would do three things. The first was he would disinform or misinform, i.e. he inherited a 1.4 inflation. He spiked at the seven and he would say it's going down to 6.5. I'm lowering inflation or he inherited gas at 241 a gallon. Now it's 350, but I got up to five and he would say, I got it down. That kind of misinformation. He'd ignore number two, so he really wouldn't tell you 5 million people crossed the border or he dismantled energy independence or we have the crime wave or he would somehow manufacture uh, the shooting in Memphis as a, as a white racist. Even even connected in that regard, Paul Pelosi to January 6th, that was a stretch. And then finally, I said he would attack. And of course, he said the Republicans wanted to sunset Social Security and he um, he went, as I said, he attacked law enforcement. He attacked the January 6th. I don't know what he was trying to do with that. And then he would call it all unity. And that's what he did pretty much. But you're right that this is I'd never seen an exchange like that, where when he accused them of Social Security, they just kind of like a lot of people do roar. No. And then he 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 entered into conversation, which made him, I thought, look bad. And they did it again over the fentanyl um, when he said 70,000 have died. We've got to stop that. And then I think somebody yelled, you caused it. And then he got confused and rattled. If you go back and look at the transcript, there's a lot of vocabulary there, Devin, that, that <laughs> I can't, I don't know what he said. I didn't, I was curious because I asked my wife, she was watching. I said, what is that word? What does that mean? And we, I looked at the transcript today and it's just gibberish. 
Yeah, I think gibberish would be the right word. There was a whole bunch, a lot of gibberish there. Yeah. And and I don't want people to get the wrong uh, impression, you know, from me that uh, you know that you know that I think you know I think the country's in a lot of trouble, and I think the sign it's a sign of the times, you know, to know what happened, you know, to see what happened in the in the House of Representatives last night in the Congress because, you know, typically it's kind of governed by the rules of the house and it's only supposed to be clapping. You're not really supposed to boo. You're supposed to be very respectful of the president. And that's not what happened uh, no. yesterday. Um, if you remember back, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, Joe Wilson, a Congressman yeah. from South Carolina got up and said, you lie. Yeah. And he was ostracized, attacked by the media. Uh, but, you know, since then, it's just gotten worse and worse. And the Democrats are the ones that have, you know, really done a lot yeah. of this during, uh, especially during Trump, you know, and Pelosi tearing up well, the state union absolutely. is probably the, the peak sure. of what is really the signs of a collapse of, of the, I don't know, the sense of, of, of normalcy in the Congress. And now it looked a hell of a lot closer to the United Kingdom. Yeah, they do. That would be, that would be, compliment it looks more like something in indonesia or something where they start brawling pretty soon so that was a key point when nancy pelosi as you said um destroyed the state of the union i'd never seen that before i guess she thought nobody would ever do it and i guess kevin was not going to do it <laughs> <laughs> well last night donald trump was live truthing and here's one here's one of them um it was vintage uh, donald trump um you know, a lot of the things that people really love about him uh, was, you know, some of the creative stuff he has. But I don't know if you, you probably didn't see any of this, uh, Victor, but I'll read it for the audio listeners. Yeah, I can Kevin see McCarthy is really good. looking. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy is really looking good. His demeanor is perfect. He's not a crazed lunatic like Nancy Pelosi that illegally <laughs> rips up the State of the Union speeches. And he's more and more fitting beautifully into the role as Speaker of the House. That was Donald Trump last night on True Social. Yeah, that's that's. I think everybody thinks Kevin McCarthy's doing a, a good job, and he is. He had the perfect demeanor. He didn't. He looked in a disapproving but restrained fashion, and uh, it's. Uh, but you know, it's hard to deal with Joe Biden. We've never quite had a president like that that just makes things up. I mean, he was finally saying that Paul Pelosi was attacked because of January sixth. Are five black police officers attacking and lethally so a black victim in a city that's 65 percent black with a black police chief and a black assistant police chief? He somehow tied that to the talk that black parents have to give to their black uh, teenagers about white policemen. I, so a lot of it was incoherent. He just threw it in there. But yeah, uh, the Paul Pelosi one was 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 really interesting trying to tie that to January 6th when we know that number one, Paul Pelosi was brutally attacked, um, you know, cause now the video has come, come out and, you know, I condemned it right away, despite what the fake news reported. Uh, I condemned it right, right away. Uh, but to compare somehow that January 6th is related to Paul, the Paul Pelosi attacker, when we know that the Paul Pelosi attacker, Victor, and you're the historian, not me, but, I think the dude was from Canada. I think yep. he's in the country illegally. I think he yep. was like has like a pride flag and he's into all kinds of leftist stuff. Is that right? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, he's all over the map politically. He says stuff that you could call alt-right, but he lives in a commune that has a pride flag and Tifa flag, and the, everybody in the commune is left-wing. They all said he was either crazy or left-wing. He doesn't know what he is. So the point is, you can't really tie him to anything. And the idea that they... Well, I but you for, sure can't, you for sure can't tie him to to the Republican Party or conservatives no. or Trump. No. I mean, if the guy had any affiliation with, with Antifa whatsoever, I don't know anyone who's ever been affiliated with the Republican Party in any fashion that's affiliated with Antifa. No. And usually the left tries to, they either try to tie a violent act to Republicans or when it's something like the Steve Scalise shooting, they deny the guy was working for, you know, Bernie Sanders and it was a complete left wing person. So that that didn't work. I don't think it's going to work. I mean, he he had a problem, Devin. He went in there with the Reuters poll yesterday, 41%. 37% of Democrats want him to seek re-election. 65% of the country think it's in the wrong direction. Every single issue, the border's got 25% support, but every other issue is under 40%, the economy, energy, even Ukraine is under 50%. So what was he going to do? How was he going to pass that record off? And the only thing he could do was say that basically the subtext of his whole first part is I inherited a really great economy. I screwed it up. And right now when I'm speaking to you, it's not as screwed up as it was, I think, six months ago. And that was the message. And then it was I'm not going to talk about the border. I'm not going to talk about Afghanistan. I'm not going to talk about how what we're going to do in Ukraine. I'm not going to talk about the depleted arsenals. I'm not going to talk about uh, racial tensions. I'm not going to talk about smash and grab. I'm not going to talk about any of that. But I am going to accuse the Republicans of trying to shut down the government and tie them to insurrection and tie them to, you know, being greedy, they don't pay their fair share, even though I think it's 1% of the households that file returns pay 42% of the income tax. So it's, there you are. And <laughs> Citizen Free Press. Uh, so they're a great contributor on True Social. They, uh, they always have funny little memes, but there, there it is, Victor. Does that sum it up? Yeah, that sums it up. And, State of the uh, Union recap, it is a picture of Joe Biden with his nose growing like Pinocchio. Yeah, you know what's happened, though, Devin, is that because he is non-compos mentes and everybody knows that he's cognitively impaired, it kind of works in his favor because most people would be called a liar and they would, you know, we politifact and all these left-wing fact-checkers might even look at him. But because everybody says, well, he doesn't know where he is. He shakes people's non-existent hands. He, he yeah. addresses people in the audience that are dead. He, he's completely baffled. So you can't really hold him to lying because he doesn't know what he's saying. And, then, and that's acceptable if you accept the premise that you, it's okay to have a cognitively challenged, uh, demented person as president. Once you say that's okay, then you give him all of these passes because you don't want to make fun of the elderly or something. Well, and he, and, can't, he can't be held to account. And Victor, here's uh, Donald Trump, another one of his live truths from last night. I'll read it. <laughs> Stumbling, bumbling. He just can't get the words out. 
I don't want that to happen, but the world is watching and it's not a pretty sight. Donald Trump, <laughs> that's not on true social. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's going to be funny because the left doesn't quite know what to do because they're they're they detect. I mean, Donald Trump makes them go crazy, but they're they see other candidates in there and they don't know. So now they're attacking DeSantis, but uh, I don't know how that's gonna that's gonna play. I really don't. Um, well, let me let me ask you this, uh, Victor. I was thinking thinking about this because the you know the fake news is ninety five percent of the news. The social media companies, as we know, censor everything. So, you know, unless you're on True Social or Rumble, you know, it's unlikely that you're going to hear from what Kevin McCarthy really has to say or Donald Trump really has to say or Jim Jordan or or Victor Davis Hanson, for that matter. Um, is it possible, Victor, that in the 2000 in the in the 2022 election that we knew things were bad. You started to see stock market was declining. So people that kind of have some wealth and a nest egg, they saw that already go down. Um, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people that are kind of middle, middle class or, you know, younger people, you know, didn't really see it yet. They hadn't felt it. They're still living with their parents. The parents still had a job or the, you know, they were still, they still had a job. They were still living off maybe the COVID funding or unemployment. Um, and so, you know, November came and went and, and now though, since, you know, December, January, things get real quickly, Victor. And I don't know if this happened to you, but, um, I noticed all the folks in California, including my own gas bill, even though I use the same amount of, of natural gas in December, January's bill was up like 80%. Yeah, and well, everywhere yeah. I go in California now, everybody's going like, "What the hell? My bill was two hundred dollars. Now it was three hundred and eighty. I had one guy tell me that he's got a big house and he has a shop that he that he heats up. He said that his bill was a thousand dollars because he had a heater in the shop. You know, and natural yeah. gas historically has been cheap. So, is it possible that those poll numbers now that reality is hitting people in the face? And that's what's causing some of these independents and Democrats to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because they already knew he was, in, you know, that he was, no, you know, that's right. in early stages of, of, of dementia or what have you. But now all of a sudden, the impacts are really hitting people. And it's not just when they say inflation, it's not just inflation. It's month after month. So when they say inflation is going down, what they're really saying is that after you lost 20 to 30% of your 401k. And for a whole year, you were paying, buying, say, plywood at $95. And they don't realize that that sucked a lot of money out of people's households. And now it's getting worse, not better, in the things that count. And by that, I mean $7 a dozen for eggs or triple, triple in one year, the natural gas price. I have a place up at Huntington and I leave it at 49 degrees so that if the power goes off, things don't freeze. And it's usually about $120 a month. It was 510 this month. And so I don't even know if I should keep the heat on, but that's, that's starting to be cumulative so that people have now been paying, you know, 350 to $5, depending on the state for two years almost. And they're paying 
I was at Food for Less in Selma, which is a pretty impoverished community yesterday. And the dog food Alpo that I get my four dogs, it used to be 98 cents a can. It's 2.20. And I was standing there and I, there was a guy there who looked pretty poorly dressed. And I said, God, this is crazy. And he said, well, are you, are you buying it for your dog? <laughs> I said, yes. He goes, well, it's cheaper than, you know, it's good stuff. You can eat it. <laughs> I said, really? And he said, yeah, I, it's a lot cheaper than canned meat and beans. So we're going to see some very strange things. As far as the midterm, remember that what, what did they do? They kept all information from us about Bankman Freed. And all of a yeah. sudden we were told, wow, Bankman Freed is, is the biggest con in American history and he's funded all these leftists, but we're not going to tell you. They knew on, you know, they knew that. They knew on November 2nd, well before the election, that Joe Biden had violated classified document protocols. They didn't, they land, they disclosed that after the midterms. And then there was the other uh, flip side to it. What did they do? They felt not just suppressing information, but what were they doing as far as policy? They were draining, A, they were draining the strategic petroleum reserve to get the gas down by 10 cents. B, they were telling everybody that you didn't have to pay, make your payments on your student loans. They were telling people with federal marijuana convictions, we're going to give you another amnesty for that. And, and E, so they were raiding Mar-a-Lago, creating a spectacle, yes. corrupting the DOJ. Meanwhile, yeah. hiding the fact that Biden had documents. It seems like there's a there's not a place that Biden lived where there's not documents. Yes, and they did not want they did not want to start a stampede where if they had released the documents before the midterms and maybe leftists like Jimmy Carter or maybe even Mike Pence would have come out as they did later after the election say, "Oh yeah, I had documents." And of course, if they had done that before the election, it would have it would have normalized what they were accusing Trump of. And I kind of got upset about that, to be frank, that why when Mike Pence knew that he had documents that were classified improperly stored and Jimmy Carter did, why did they only admit that when it involved a simultaneous story with Joe Biden? And that's because I think they felt they were going to try to help Biden and say, well, everybody does it. Or, But why didn't they say that when they went into Mar-a-Lago? Why didn't Pence say, you know what? This reminds me that I might have some documents. So, oh my gosh, I've got some. It's not just Trump. And then Jimmy Carter could have said, well, you know, it's not that bad that Trump did. I haven't. But they only did it in connection with Biden, like every other asymmetric, uh, you know, media or investigatory act. Everything's so asymmetrical now. Yeah. Well, we're listening to, if you're listening on the auto podcast, we're listening to Professor Victor Davis Hansen from the Hoover Institute. Uh, he's a neighbor of mine in the San Joaquin Valley of California. He lives in Selma, California, out in the country. What used to be a raisin farm, he used to have grapes there. Now you, now he's got some almonds. And he's in his house that's 120, 30 years 50. old now, 150 years old. Yeah, in 1871. And he's got a cabin up in the up in the mountains of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Buried under snow. <laughs> yeah, thankfully. Let me ask but, you a question, though, if I could. So uh -huh. we had all these never Trumpers, right? And they said that 
they were never Trump for two reasons. One, they said he would not be conservative. I think that's been disposed with. But the other, they said that his behavior was either so erratic or unprofessional, whatever ad adjective they use, they couldn't vote for him, but they were still conservatives. That's And they, they said that so they could be the Lincoln Project, the Bill Crystals, the George Wills, the Jonah Goldberg, the Dispatch, the Bulwark, all those people, many of them getting a lot of left-wing money. So now we're going to have a primary. And there's probably going to be four or five candidates. And from what we can tell, most of the candidates are going to adopt a pretty conservative agenda, i.e. an agenda that all these people that spent their entire lives, right? George Will, uh, David Frum, Bill Chris, all telling us that these were essential for the survival of the public. And Trump, in some cases, won't be connected with them. So do you think that suddenly all the never Trumpers are going to come back out and endorse, say, a Pompeo or Christy Nome or Mike Pence or DeSantis and say, well, see, they have my agenda, but I don't have to have Trump's fingerprints on it. Or have they got, and this is what's very important because they claim they were, that they're still conservatives, they're still Republicans. But I don't think they are. I think they were always leftists and now they're going to be embarrassed because they're going to have to dig up a reason why they can write and say nasty things about everybody in the field, not just Trump. Yeah, well, look, it's hard for me. I knew a lot of those guys, Victor, and and you did too, probably better than I did. And probably what it is, is it's a combination of their feelings got really hurt by, by Trump. Yes. And also they're making a living off of this now. Yeah. And, From you know, money, Peter, Peter Amador and things like that. Right. Yeah. In, pol in politics, you know, in the swamp, you know, you see it happen all the time. I mean, how many people have left Congress as a Republican, get paid millions of dollars uh, to be a, a, a TV host? And eventually they kind of start as the token right wing guy to then they get to center, then they're trashing Republicans. And then they're, and then finally, after like five years, I would, I'm disavowing the Republican Party. I mean, you see they that. Go, yeah, they go the full time, time again. Joe Scarborough, um, huh? Well, and look, and look at the people that even the ones that wrote got paid a lot of money to write a book to trash Trump. I mean, or to trash. I mean, even going back to trash. Who was the w. worst? Bush. The worst, Devin. Did you know him? Was the guy that worked for George W. Bush, Matthew Dowd, or from that guy from Texas? I, yeah, I, mean, I didn't know him, but I know the name. My gosh, he's gone full. He was consumed by Trump hatred and he kind of he was rendered kind of crazy. I know that at one time, believe it or not, if you said the word Michael Beschloss or John Meacham, they were considered liberal kind of court historians that had connections with high ranking officials in politics. And they would write, you know, a John Kerry biography. David uh, Donald Brinkley was in, the, the Brinkley guy was the other one. But now, I mean, they were the architects of that Phantom of the Opera speech that uh, Biden gave last uh, September and then again in December. And they've gone completely nuts. They, they are, I mean, they tweet stuff about death and he should die and all that Trump. It's crazy what they're doing. And it's yeah, just you, amazing. You're talking I mean, about the Phantom of the Opera. You're, ta you're talking about the one with the Marines <laughs> in the background that looked like he was on some kind of hellscape or the set of, yes. of one of the Star Wars movies. 
Inferno, yeah, with the red yeah. stuff, whatever that was. And yeah. the ultra, he came up with that term, ultra MAGA, and semi-fascist. And then well, he always ends, though, with unity. And I believe in bipartisanship, and we've got to have more unity with the semi-fascist, <laughs> the ultra MAGA people. So. Well, let's. Uh, what I want to do, Victor, is we'd like to have fun uh, on the show too. Because if not, if you just sit here and talk about politics the whole time, uh, without having a little bit of fun, uh, it can be pretty depressing. And as as you and I, we don't like to be uh, totally uh, depressed all the time. No. Uh, but let me. I want to put up, you know, what I thought very interesting last night. Um, I'm sure it was just an accident. They got kind of confused. Uh, but up in the up in the gallery, there was a picture, Victor, and I think we're going to try to find it here to get it get it put up on the screen here with our producer. But it was there. It is there. It is. Oh, and of I course, thought that was so strange, didn't you? Yeah. So Cat Turd, who was on the show a couple days ago, he uh, says, uh, "Men to find happiness, find a woman will kiss you." I don't know something. The cat, some something funny. Cat Turd says, "I can't even read it." But it's a picture of. Jill Biden, lips locked with Kamala Harris's husband. Have you ever so. seen, you've been in politics a long time. And when you do rallies and stuff, I mean, I, I give lectures and women will come up and hug you. But and maybe even I've had maybe twice where they kiss you on the cheek. Have you ever seen that before or ever had a woman try to kiss you on the lips? I <laughs> well, haven't. Well, I was going to say is, you know, and, and you'll appreciate from my Portuguese Azorian well. culture, Victor. <laughs> um, so it's very custom, especially, you know, if they're people that are that were either, you know, born in, in Portugal or the Azores or if they're visiting, you know, you'll do like a kiss on one cheek and a kiss on the yeah, other cheek. The French but, but never in the in the, the, the hundreds, if not you know, thousands of times I've done that throughout my life. I've never like once slipped up and kissed one of them on the lips. I don't know. So what was, what was the, what were they thinking? And was he thinking, Oh my God, I'm stuck with Kamala Harris and Oh my God, you're stuck with Joe Biden and we're normal. <laughs> I don't know. Well, citizens free press always good for a good laugh. We have this on the screen. Now they announced first lady and Arrested. second gentleman get to third base at the state of the union. speech. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, there was a lot of those things. And, and then Mitt Romney had the encounter with George Santos where he called, I don't, you know, this is very funny. Mitt Romney was always the paradigm of decorum and manners. And, you know, you knew him a lot better than I did, but he used to come to the Hoover Institution. I had two meetings with him, I think. And he was so sober and judicious, prim and proper. And, and then he, he too, Trump did something to him. I don't know whether it was, offering him or interviewing him for secretary of state. Then he felt Trump was sort of making him crawl into Trump tower and humiliating him. If that's his take on it. Uh, I'm not sure Trump didn't think that he should be, you know, magnanimous and in interviewing, but whatever it is, it, it was very strange. Trump then he wanted Trump support. Remember when he ran for Senate in Utah and Trump went out there and actually supported him. And then he immediately turned on Trump and before Trump supported him, this is important because people think Trump is so vindictive, but Trump forgot all the stuff he said in 2016. Remember about Trump, Trump steaks and Trump brandy and this guy's Oh my a God, I forgot about that. Yes. Remember that? He was just obsessed with Trump. Yeah, let's, for, the, for those, for the younger people in our, in our audience, Victor, 
I just, I had totally forgot about that. And this is why Victor's one of the smartest guys on the planet, classicist historian. By the way, he has his own podcast, the Victor Davis, Victor Davis Hanson podcast that you can find on, on, on iTunes and anywhere you get your, your podcast. But uh, yeah, 2016, uh, what was it? About three weeks before the election, right, Victor? Yeah, well, it was all summer, but he really doubled down on Trump's companies and fraud. And he said he was a self he was a self-appointed person that after Trump got the nomination, he was going to ensure that Trump lost by this person. Did, but didn't he do like some type of of, of press conference infomercial like two weeks yeah. ahead of time? No, and he, he had like he, yes. he had a bunch of the Trump uh you know, the Trump you Brands. know. Uh, brands behind them that had that had had a problem which i always yeah, thought that Trump's, was yeah it was trump stakes and then trump you know he went after trump university trump stakes the trump foundation and I, I i thought wow you know mitt 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 all of us on the conservative side whose job is to write we wrote stuff on your behalf that they were unfairly saying that you put your dogs on your remember that in 2012, oh, Mitt Romney put dogs on top of his house. Then they said, oh, he has an elevator in his house. Oh, his wife is an equestrian. Oh, he never talked to the garbage. Oh, he hazed people when they were 16. And we thought, this is so unfair. And then he turns around and does the same stuff. And he's this religious icon to Trump. Trump forgets about it, interviews him for secretary of state, doesn't select him. And then he wants to get back into the fray. So he goes to Utah, campaigns. And then Mitt is, what, the one sure Republican vote against him on almost every critical issue. He voted to uh, convict him twice, if I'm not mistaken, right, in the Senate on the, right. on, the, on the two impeachments. And then now, but then he gets into the Santos character, who's a pathological liar. But I can see you'd want to run from him. But why would you want to be photographed with him and, and seek him out by saying, you know, you don't belong here and, and get an encounter. You're an ass. You're an ass. Why would a person of the Mormon faith who's so ostensibly well, upright, you say you're an ass on national television to the guy that, you know, punched down to this poor, pathetic creature. And it wasn't going to end well. And the guy, the guy had the best of the uh, inner of the exchange, he said, well, you, you know, you're an asshole to <laughs> Romney. That was just Romney. another one of these very bizarre actions that were, and the other one was, did you see, I, I don't like to watch it, but it was amazing how Biden couldn't leave. He's such an egocentric narcissist. He had to stay there for like 20 minutes. And then they had Adam Schiff kind of crawl up to him and, you know, and say, this is so wonderful. This was a great, and you could see that he was almost ready to say, well, are you going to endorse me for Senate? <laughs> you know, it was just now, Victor. Be careful; that could be your next senator. You may have yeah. to. You know, I he'll... don't believe that's well. I have no confidence that's true in California, the electorate. But Adam I think it, I think it's very I think it's very possible. Um, if um, you know, it flies in the face of what the Democrats stand for because you know the last thing they believe in are white straight guys. Um, but you know, I, I think if if Feinstein doesn't retire early where Newsom can appoint, um, you know, Schiff is very popular with the hard left and he's got, I think, you know, $10 million in the bank. So if, I know, if but he's a, he's a Democrat get into the primary, he could, a, he could he's actually a publicity win. hound. That was why Kevin was so smart to get him off that intelligence. He used that intelligence committee 
to go on TV almost every night and he had the same shtick. Well, you know, I, uh, I'm very worried. This is very problematic. And there's certain things that have come to my attention. I just can't because of the nature of the intelligence. I can't disclose, but they're very, very, very worrisome. I mean, I have nothing at all. And I'm going to lie and insinuate and give you an innuendo. And he got, he turned that into making a persona. So he needs that exposure if he's going to run for California. But in the next two years, what's he going to be doing? You know, in Congress that if you're not the head of a committee, it's very hard to get on television or get exposure. Um, and I don't know much like, about, I don't know much about that Adam Schiff guy. <laughs> I think you do. And down he's down in Los Angeles, which is a woke place. And there's very few white male candidates in Los Angeles anymore. And the white male, the white population of California is about 37%. And there's a lot of people that don't like him in the democratic party. I just don't think he's going to cut it. I really don't. And he's uh, well. He's from Hollywood, so we'll we'll see. Uh, just to finish up, though, uh, Victor, one thing you forgot about uh, about Mitt Romney, another very weird thing, uh, is that he had this he had this secret Twitter account. Remember yes. that? Uh, and he hold on now, out. just a minute. I remember that name. It's it had a Spanish sounding name to it. So, oh, Delecto. Wasn't it Pierre, it Pierre Delecto? Delecto, yes. Yeah. And he was kind of writing, not risque, but kind of over the top. And he wouldn't give his name. Gosh, I forgot. Yeah. That's exactly right. There's something. So be careful there. on Truth Social, everybody. If you have a Truth Social account, watch out for the Pierre Delectos. Romney could be creeping <laughs> around somewhere on on Truth Social. But you're right. It's just. It is just weird. It's just, just bizarre. Behavior. He's just, he's just yeah. another one of these people. And think about it's like Donald Trump has a wrecking yard behind Mar-a-Lago and instead of having wrecked cars, he's got wrecked careers are all stacked in there. I mean, think <laughs> about it. This guy completely destroyed his credibility, his career. Uh, and now he's in that wrecking yard. He's a joke. Look at the other guy. Did you know him very well? Adam Kinzinger. Yeah, yeah, that's another he, guy. That, wasn't uh, he sort uh, of normal? He was kind of normal, wasn't he? Yeah, he of... was a pilot. He was an intelligence. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, he was an intelligence guy. I think he was in the the Illinois Guard. Um, had served in Iraq. I, yeah, I was I was good friends with him. I liked him yeah. a lot. And, and look at Lynn he Cheney. He and you knew Lynn Cheney. Mm -hmm. She was normal, right? She was a good conservative. You thought I did. Yeah. And look yeah. at her. She's in the Trump wrecking yard. And then there's also. Gosh, there's uh, there's so many uh, people in entertainment or punditry. I, I knew George Will very well. I, I liked him. I knew uh, Bill Crystal. I knew David Fromm. You and I both like, and I guess we still do, but the Weekly Standard guy, uh, Hayes, right? Steve yeah, Hayes. yeah. Yeah, did and a he, lot of good work. Steve did great work on, and he's, on and he, uh, he got, the military totally, and, the, and the Bin Laden documents. I mean, he was a stand-up, total stand-up I wonder what guy. it was that certain people, Mona Charon's another one, they got completely obsessed. So that uh, Charles Sykes, of course, they just, that was their alpha and omega, was to prove to the world that they had particular insights on the lethal, toxic uh, threat of Donald J. Trump. And they were going to, that was a messianic quest on their part to show us all. And they consumed themselves in hatred. And it's 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 very strange. And there's a lot of politicians 
that did that. Paul, Paul Ryan, to a lesser extent, did the same thing. And Joe Scarborough did. And the, you know the weirdest one, though, just to finish this, did you know him, the former head of the uh, CIA? I don't remember if he was still there when you were head of the Michael Hayden. Yeah, I worked with him when I was first. Uh, yeah, first uh, got involved in on. He in was a good guy. Show. I mean, did you see the some of the tweets that he said? He he had that. He tweeted out that Donald Trump's uh, border policies were analogous to Auschwitz cages, and you know the death camps. And then someone, when Trump, remember the day after Marlago that Michael Beschloss was tweeting out that the Rosenbergs had been executed. And for uh, betraying secrets. And the, the fake news had this story out that Donald Trump had taken nuclear codes. And then uh, Betzloss tweeted, well, this is like, remember what happened to the Rosenbergs, i.e. Trump should be, you know, electrocuted. And Hayden tweeted out, I like that. I couldn't believe that. It was just, everything's yeah. been topsy-turvy. Well, very, yeah, very strange. Now, Victor... We're going to lighten things up again here, yeah. but you actually, there's someone else, you know, and I've heard you tell this story a couple times on your podcast, uh, the Victor Davis Hanson show. Uh, but I want to, uh, I want to get your take on it because uh, I, I like when you tell the story and I've heard you tell it, you've told it to me privately. Uh, but uh, first of all, the Chinese spy balloon, um, somebody got a close picture of it, Victor, and I want to show you. There's actually a top secret picture we were able to get from uh, get from get from the intelligence agencies. We're going to put it up on the screen right now. We're going to share some classified information. There it is, Victor. <laughs> Have you seen that one? So it's so it's a picture of the spy balloon close up. It's got Eric. Happy Valentine's Day, love, Fang Fang. Now, obviously, it's a joke, people, just a meme, but. Victor, you have a, a a very interesting story about Feng Feng. Would you would you share that with our audience? Yeah, very. You know, I think it was about 2014 or maybe 13, and I had written a series of critical articles about appeasing the Chinese communists, and I get this call uh, with a heavily accented voice that this person is from the Chinese consulate. And she says her job is to talk to, uh, I don't know, her job was to correct wrong ideas. And I thought that was kind of funny. And I've had calls before like that from, you know, press flack. So I didn't make much of it. I said, well, it's five o'clock and I'm going up to my office. I can't talk to you. But I, I just trying to be fly. I didn't know who it was. I didn't know if she was 100 years old. I didn't know anything. And then she said, I'd like to meet with you. And I said, well, you can call. Uh, we have a person that does that and makes an appointment. She goes, no, I'm right outside your office. I thought, wow, that's weird. And so I said, okay, come up. So I said to my assistant, because um, we have an elevator at the Hoover Tower has a key on it. I said, go down and escort it, but do not go home. I know it's five o'clock, but do not go home. And you got to keep the door open just in case this is a spy or somebody. I didn't know what. So she comes in and she has skin tight Levi's, stretch Levi's in boots up to her knee with a white blouse with sunglasses tucked in to her button and open. And then in very heavily uh, Chinese accent, accented language, uh, she tries to give me a bunch of gifts, which I said I can't take. 
Then she wanted to know if I'd want to go to dinner and a drink. And I said, no, I can't do that. So then she said, well, look, I have to, I'm here to explain why you're wrong. So she sat down, but I told uh, my assistant to stay there and he sat there the whole time. And it was very funny because she was actually very bright and she was giving me all this propaganda. I said, you know, it's 520. I got to get home. I'm tired of this. If you're not going to speak the truth. So then it was funny, Devin. She dropped the entire, I can barely speak English, right? Completely dropped it. And she got into a valley girl accent. And she said, hey, man. It's like, I went to Cal. I think as she said what somebody can fact check me. But I thought she said, hey, man, I went to Cal State Hayward. I know all about this. My job is to go all over the Bay Area, man. I go every, I know this. And she named Feinstein, Pelosi, Swalwa, everybody. I know everybody. I go to the campaign. I listen. I, I know. I have my eyes everywhere, man. And I said, so what's the point? She goes, I got to ask you about Obama. How come he lets us, us, i.e. the communist China's part, why does he let us go into Japanese airspace? Why does he let us go into Japanese maritime space? I said, I don't know. He said, you know, you used to stop us one mile, two mile, three miles, man. But now, man, we go in five, six miles and nothing happened. I said, you tell me you're so bright. And she said, I think it's like a trap. And you're luring us in there. And then and I said, why would you think that? I'm happy that you do think that. And she said, I'll never forget it, Devin. She said, you know, man, no president puts the interest of another country ahead of his own. And your president puts you guys last, last. Why is that? And I, and you know, my assistant was David, and I thought this is weird. So then we said, well, I gotta go, and I'm not gonna go to dinner. And I felt bad. It was kind of rude. Take your Chinese, uh, very nice, probably. It was in a box, tea set, and you can take it back. And then I noticed that she left a scroll on the. We forgot that. And later, when she left, David reminded me there's a scroll that she left there as a present like a Chinese painting. And uh, I think it's somewhere in my bookcase, but we forgot all about it. And then when Eric Swalwell came on, David called me and he said, you recognize that person? I said, that is the consulate. And we'd forgotten her name. And he said, no, that's not the consulate. That's Fang Fang. And it was her. Well, Which, I remember, Victor, I remember you called me right when that when that broke publicly. Yeah, yeah. And you told me, you said, you're not going to believe this. But that girl came to my office a few years ago at, at Stanford. I will never. Yeah, you know, I'm like, that are was, you sure it's her? I was and, I'm 69. So I was probably about 60. And I'm kind of an old guy, but I'm trying to think of the idea how anybody would think that that flirtatious girl and that get up she had on would actually have any interest in you, right? Other than professional. So when Kevin took him off the committee, you know, it, he couldn't say anything. I mean, he tried to say this and that, but the fact is he had carnal relations with a Chinese spy while he was on the intelligence committee. Well, just and to be, just to be, just to, just to make sure. Allegedly. You know, well, it's allegedly, but also, as I understand it, that he did not have the relations or whatever they were while on the intelligence committee. It was right before. Well, before. it could have been, but it was. It, it could was, have been. It was. Yeah. It could have been, but it was. 
it was definitely before uh, that time period that he had what you know whatever those those relations were. What so he didn't wanted... answer, I guess I want to be specific because I want to be fair to him. He didn't answer whether he had any communications with her of any sort after he was on the committee. Yeah, right. I don't. I don't mean carnal. Any type but of. It is, but it is hmm. nice, Victor. I. I mean, maybe the next Chinese spy balloon will say, "Victor, happy <laughs> Easter." Love, thank this pig. Not this pig. <laughs> I. I have a lot of faults, but vanity about my attractiveness to women is not one of them. I don't feel <laughs> that I'm going to charm anybody, and you have to be kind of an idiot to tell you the truth. When somebody from China comes and takes an interest in you in a political sense, when you're a political official, that's about as dumb. But he, she also had a relationship, remember, with a governor, didn't she, or somebody on a state level? As yeah, well. I think she was she was making her way around the Sacramento and the and yeah, San Francisco she did. politics. She did. She did. And so that was he didn't really contest that. It was really good though that when Ilian Almar had that little psychodrama with AOC about black woman migrant. That's why I'm off this committee. It, it, it just really blew that whole narrative up that Eric's was an old white is a white guy. And so is Adam Schiff and nobody, I don't think anybody cared that they got kicked off. You know, it was only, they only cared about Ian Omar. In fact, given, uh, a, I would go so far as to say, given in the case of Omar, they would probably, if you talk to about 30 or 40 Democrats, they were happy she got off. Yeah, well, look, and I know a lot of the Democrats, you know, would privately come to me uh, and none of, a lot of them did not like uh, Schiff or Swalvo very much. But uh, of course, they're, they're, none of them are crying for him. I don't think you see very many defending them no. for them getting kicked off. They have so much more, um, what do you, what's the word, control than you guys did. In other words, when Kevin was up for speaker, I mean, all those votes were there, the different defections. And then every time the Democrats voted, it was lockstep. There was not one defection from Jeffries, right? They have a lot more. I mean, right. the old Democratic Party that I remember and the JFK, Humphrey, LBJ, 68 convention, even the Clinton, it was sloppy. It was, they weren't organized. These guys are not Democrats, they're not progressive. They're Jacobin, they're, I don't know what they are, but they're revolutionaries and they have, they require complete obedience without dissent. Yeah. And they enforce Well, look, it. you saw that, the best example of that, Victor, was, you know, the traditionally in the, in the Democratic Party, the hard left, were very anti-war. Yes. And in fact, they would oftentimes defend Putin, um, which was the weird thing about the whole Russia hoax and the accusation that Trump and Republicans had something to do with Putin because there were so many votes that I took part in where you would always have 30, 40, 50 of kind of these anti-war Democrats that always wanted us to play nice with Putin, nice with the, the Chinese. But if you remember right at the beginning of, of this Ukraine, uh, the involvement of the United States in Ukraine, there was a letter that was generated by that group. Uh, and I don't know if, if there were 20, uh, maybe two dozen of them. Yeah, to, letter. I remember Taleb was one of them. Remember her? Yeah, she was they, ahead they, of it. And effectively, the letter said something along the lines of, you know, you need to watch where the money's spent. It wasn't even that harsh of a letter, but I'd never seen this before in my whole time in Congress. They retracted the letter. 
Yeah, I think now, Nancy Pelosi did that. She just told him, hey, retract it or you're not going to be on a committee. You're not going to get any central DNC funding and we'll, we'll primary you. Probably so, something happened for those hard left wingers to retract. I mean, they didn't even like, oh, we misspelled a word or, oh, we got to add a sentence or, oh, we got to, you know, maybe folded like a tent. It just, they just disappeared. The letter's you know, gone. It's, you know, it's so funny. I, uh, I ride or walk around my apartment on campus during the week and all of the houses, you know, that after George Floyd had things like this house doesn't tolerate racism or Trump is not welcome here, that kind of really in your face politics. They put signs. They all have Ukrainian flags or Ukrainian signs. Now it's very funny because a, you know, these guys, when this is over and somebody says we're short a million artillery shells, it's going to take five years to ramp up javelin production. We've at, between the stuff that was abandoned in Afghanistan and what we gave Ukraine, we're going to have to have a special Marshall plan to restock the Pentagon. They're going to vote. No, they're going to be against it. But right now they want to give every possible thing they can to Ukraine, they want them to blow up the Black Sea Fleet. They want them to under, undertake offensive uh, operations way into Russia. Some of them have been 450 miles. And I guess I'm trying to get at it why this uh, fixation. I think it's kind of, I know this sounds crazy, but I think they were so intent on saying Putin, Russian, dis, uh, Russian collusion, collusion, and then the Mueller blew up and then all of the revelations about the steel dossier. So then they moved into the laptop. This is Russian disinformation, 50 intelligence officers, and that blew up. And now they're thinking, damn it, we're going to prove one way or another that Vladimir Putin is the prince of darkness. Everybody in the right knew that. You guys used to be well before the collusion stuff, before Trump. You were very hard on Russia. Trump was very hard on Russia. My God, he killed the mercenaries. He got out of that missile deal. He sent them javelins that Biden and Obama had, had vetoed. He upped the sanctions. He flooded the world with cheap oil. He was really tough on them. But there's something about Ukraine that it's not just the issue of Ukraine and Putin's aggression. It just hits a chord with them, and they want to be so zealous to make up for all the humiliation in the past. Well, I think Victor, that there's more, there's more to it. I think you did, you did touch on something that is, that is true. They've lied to themselves and told a lie enough times that they actually believe it themselves. Mm -hmm. So there is a big chunk of them that definitely just want Putin to be bad and they want to be proven right. Yeah. But, but there's, I think there's, there's, there's more, something more nefarious at play here. There's, you know, you had all the involvement of, of, of Burisma, the Bidens, you know, the impeachment of Trump. You had the, you know, you've got, you know, the, the Soros and a lot of these billionaires, their involvement in Ukraine. There's something more at a higher level involved here. You and I aren't, you know, probably don't know what it is yet. Maybe we'll never know. But I want your opinion, I think, because you have such a, a great insight into this uh, because of your 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 history as uh, your background in in classicist uh, history you've studied, not only do you go back to the Greek and Roman times, but uh, I think you wrote one of the best books on World War on World War II. 
uh, called uh, what is it? It's the, the second, second world, world war. Yeah, set war. Yeah, we'll put, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll put that book on the screen, producer. We'll get that up there. But you've got such a great background in this that can you maybe just walk the audience through where we go from here because we're in a despite what people may be hearing, no matter how much the Ukrainians want to fight, how much they're willing to fight, how much money we throw them, there's a big problem. You've got a lunatic like Putin who's not afraid to kill, who is a killer, who's sitting on the second or third largest nuclear uh, arsenal in history in, in, in the planet. And so there's a lot of ways that this doesn't end well. And I want to, you know, so why don't you kind of walk or give us kind of a 101 on, on where we yeah. go from here. Well, when this started, there was this asymmetry. Ukraine has 10 times smaller, or I should say Russia's 10 times larger GDP, three and a half times larger population, 30 times the area. So the only way that they were saved was their heroism and the weapons that the EU-NATO-United States gave them. And so this thing turned in and then everybody got euphoric and they said, wow, they stopped the Kiev. And, and you know, so I wrote a column and saying, you know, Russia never does well when they invade other countries way into the interior. They didn't do well uh, on the, the Russo-Japanese war. They didn't do well in Finland. They didn't do well when they went into Poland in 22. They didn't do well when they went into Afghanistan. But when you get close to the border, whether you're, Charles XII from Sweden or Napoleon or Hitler, they, they change. They look at that war as an attack on Mother Russia. And so I, I said, when this war starts to get close to the border as Ukrainians make progress, it's going to change. And the Russians are going to say, you know what? We don't like Putin. We don't care about Putin. But these people are now sinking the Black Sea fleet or hitting a Air Force base. 400 miles inside Russia. And that's what's happened. And they have shorter supply lines. They're regrouping. They're selling oil at a high price to India, Turkey, etc. Okay. And so what would it take? And this is what I, I'm really upset about. What would it take to defeat Russia? That is, you'd have to ask yourself, how do they define victory? Zelensky and his supporters. Well, they define victory, as I understand it, as every single Russian soldier must be out of Ukraine uh, in the fashion they were in 2013. We're going to go back to the 2013 mm -hmm. status quo. But to achieve that and get three or 400,000 of them out, you're going to have to do stuff that's very provocative. You're going to have to hit Russian fuel supplies. You're going to have to sink more ships. You're going to have to you know, have drone attacks and bomber attacks on pipelines cut off their supply. And we've already lost about 220,000 dead on both sides. You're probably going to have to, there's going to be three or 400,000. We've given them 100 billion. We'll probably have to give them three or 400 million. Every time we give them a Humvee, they say we need an Abrams. Every time we give them an Abrams, they say we want a Patriot. Every time we say we give them a Patriot, they want an F-16. I don't blame them, but that's our I guess what I'm saying is our strategic interests are not exactly aligned with theirs. Our strategic uh, interest is preventing Russia from combining combining with Russia, Russia with China, so that Kissinger 
basically establish the principle that China would never be a closer friend to Russia than it is to us. Russia would never be a closer friend to China than it is to us. And now what have we done? We're creating a new axis of China, Russia. They're both sponsoring their old clients, Iran, that will be nuclear soon, North Korea, that's a nuclear trouble, troublemaker. They've got 1.4 billion person India buying their oil and it's been sounding very pro-Russian recently. And they've got Turkey, a NATO power that sounds very pro-Russian and has every oligarch in the world uh, sanctuary inside Turkey. So we created a block about half the world's population. And nobody says, I have colleagues where I work and they say, you know, oh, wow. Anybody who doesn't want to win is a Putin apologist. We, we, we're going to get kill all the Russians. We're going to push them back. These are people on the left. And they don't tell us how they're going to do it, at what cost, how long it's going to take, and what would be the geostrategic consequences of it. And then they do this, and you pointed to it. Putin is just saber-rattling. He's never going to do that. He's not going to do this. He's got the, actually, in terms of not deployable nuclear weapons, but just nuclear weapons in general, he's got 7,000. He's got the most of anybody. And he's threatened now about 15 times he's going to use it. He said the other day that there's never been a nuclear power that waged a conventional war in its borders and lost, and we're not going to be the first ones. And so, and he's got his supporters too. Er Erdogan said the other day, the, if you Greeks keep uh, fighting with us over the Dodecanese islands, you're going to wake up one night with a missile in Athens. So it's getting to be a very dangerous world. And what I don't understand finally, and I'll shut up, why did this administration let this balloon go for a week right across continental United States, taking pictures of bases and launcher pads and stuff, and then say, you know, well, it was just a weather balloon, or, well, we were prepared for it, or it's a primitive device, who cares, or we can't shoot it down, we'll hurt people. all these lies. And I think a couple of them said, well, you know, we don't want to get into a confrontation with China, i.e. they're a nuclear power. So they're very wary of China and provoking it but they're not at all wary of provoking Russia that has, A, a lot more nukes. I think China's got about 300. Russia's got 7,000. And Russia's a lot more likely to use them. And yet they discount that entirely. Yeah, yet, look, especially as, you know, I wrote a, a, a small piece back in 14 that said there was a bear out there. This was when Obama wasn't doing anything. And in early 16, when they still weren't doing anything about Russia, yeah. I called it the largest intelligence failure since 9-11 that we didn't understand Putin's plans and intentions. And look, from just what I can see as a guy who studied this for a long time, Putin's a guy that at any given moment, he could snap. He doesn't look yes. healthy. He's clearly not making logical decisions. I didn't think, you know, when he invaded in when he invaded into Ukraine, I actually didn't think he would do it because I thought, ah, you know, Putin's crazy, but he's not that crazy. Because at the end of the day, I thought, you know, look, he's Putin's probably going to be able to over, you know, over top, uh, topple over the, the Ukrainian government. Uh, but you knew one thing. I just doubted that these brothers would want to fight each other. And that's the more that's the harder part. And I think that's where Putin failed is that his people don't really want to fight. Uh, and the Ukrainians definitely don't want to go back to what they were under the Iron Curtain. But you've got this situation that that if Putin was crazy enough to send what he knew, even if he was going to be successful, Victor, he had to know he was going to lose 10 or 20 or 30 or 50,000 people. 
if you just go in there and then you were going to have a guerrilla warfare on your hand. And that was if if NATO and the United States did nothing, he was going to have that problem. But he he did that because he went into Georgia over Osation. We didn't do much. Bush sanctioned him. And then in reaction to that, Hillary Clinton pushed the jacuzzi button in Geneva in 2009 and started yeah. reset. So what did we do? We said, oh, that that asymmetrical missile treaties, not that bad. Oh, the sanctions. George Bush was a cowboy. We'll lower him a little bit. Oh, Putin believes in. And then we had our ambassador lecturing him on human rights. And then we had the hot mic in March of 2012, where Obama says to that he said, tell Vladimir if he gives me some space during my last election, this is my last election, I will yep. be flexible on things, including missile defense. And Putin actually kept his word. He didn't go into Ukraine or Crimea in 2012. Obama got elected. Obama kept his word. He canceled missile defense in Poland and the Czechs. And then 16 months later, after Obama was elected, he thought, you know what? He's not going to do anything. And then he went into Ukraine and he went into Crimea and he didn't do anything. And all these people who are so angry right now and saying we're going to have to give them F-16s, not one of them said a word. I went back and looked at some of the most vociferous voices and they all defended Obama. Not one of them said, oh, my God, we got into this situation for two reasons. Obama appeased Putin and he let him go into Ukraine, and he let him go into Crimea, and he did a hot mic, and John Kerry made a joke out of a red line, and, and they lost deterrence. And then second, Joe Biden humiliated the United States and Afghanistan, turned over billions of dollars of equipment, a billion-dollar embassy, a $350 million refitted Air Force base, and we lost deterrence. And Putin looked at that and said, you know what? Told his generals, they won't do anything. Look at that. They left all that stuff out there. And the funny thing was, did you see the story that finished the other day that Putin is now negotiating with the Taliban to yeah, buy to that get, stuff? To, to, get all of our, to get all of our weapons. And, and did you see the reaction from all these left-wing pundits and Obama? Oh, the Taliban wouldn't do that. They wouldn't break their word. They, they said they wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. And then, right. And, then and these are the geniuses that not only do they want to be nice to Putin, nice to the Chinese when I say, say they, the American left, but... but also, Victor, I sat there the whole time. They were always negotiating with the Taliban, always secretly. If you remember, Obama was doing that. And you know, no matter how many times I would say it, look, this will end badly. You do not negotiate with terrorists. If you want to leave, leave. You know, that's what I always say. But let's keep a base that we can fortify so that we can project power from there and at least be able to go kill terrorists. Now, look, that was me with my many visits in the Middle East, listening to you know very smart military and intelligence people. Um, but never, never was there ever any plan or any concept that I had ever seen that involved everybody, let's just, when we're going to fall back, let's get rid of all the bases and let's end up with one right in Kabul. That'll be a great place to just leave from. I mean, these are morons. I mean, and, 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 and they all knew this, Victor, but yet... Everybody from Obama to Biden, all of them thought, let's just negotiate with the Taliban. It was always crazy. If anything, you, all you were going to be able to do is negotiate with them. You knew they were going to take power. You had to be tough like Pompeo, Secretary Pompeo and Trump were that said, look, we will kill you. We're not going to leave totally. 
You could have left. We could have left a very fortified base there. I even I forget the name of it. I think it was a yeah, Bagram, Kandahar, right? I think it was. Uh, we had that big base at Bagram outside of Kabul. The Bagram. Not ba um, yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's just it's the biggest base in the in Central Asia, and we just yeah, spent three hundred and fifty million refitting it. Yeah, and I had been there. I had been there a few times, and you know, it was it was very well fortified. It was easy to protect. Um, and it was in the north. What is that? The Northern Alliance, as I recall, yeah. which I don't kind of we have. Yeah, I don't understand it. I don't understand. Uh, you know, when I, I, I saw a very strange thing the other day. I saw on Monday an article. It wasn't in the Wall Street Journal, but it was in a blog about the Russians are so ill-equipped that they either have AR-47, AK-47s from 1947, like the name implies, you know, they're pre-Korean War or, or right at the Korean War, they're ancient, they're not working, or they even have bolt action clip rifles, they're so poorly equipped. The next story two days later said, yeah, it was an inventory of what we left behind there. I didn't realize we left 60,000 Humvees, Jeeps, armored vehicles. We left 500,000 thousand assault rifles and machine guns and the million artillery shells. But the point of this article was that you got one article that says we left all this stuff. The second article said the Russian is in different places. The Russians uh, were short uh, machine guns and assault weapons and transportation and their wounded were bleeding out because they didn't have trucks. The third article was written by a left-wing guy and said, of course, this can't be true that Putin would want to buy this stuff because the Rus this is American and it won't coordinate or won't be cohesive with uh, Russian and old Soviet area arms. I'm thinking, you're telling me that a Russian soldier would rather have an old torn up rifle that barely works than an M4 that's brand new, that's right out of the box, or he doesn't know how to use it, or a guy in Russia cannot learn how to drive a Chevy truck or, you know what I mean, a Humvee, come on. If the right. Taliban and ISIS can do it. And so it, they're, they're straining, but we have given them, and they will end up, I bet you a third of that horde will end up in Putin's hand as transport oh, yeah. he communications. Wants to, just to, just in, in spite of us. I mean, look, they're down to yeah. now. We're basically down to this because the so-called great negotiators of Team Obama and Team Biden they can't negotiate at all. They're they're not even trying to get Putin to the table. Like I only see the only way out of this now is, is going to be if Putin dies or somebody takes him out. I mean, this it do, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look like there is a, you know, because I you know one thing that I always know if the fake news is saying something, it usually is means the opposite. Now, look, I don't think that Putin's winning. I wouldn't say that. I think the Ukrainians, I've always believed that they will, they're they they're willing to fight and they want to fight for their country. But there's no easy solution here, Victor. And look, no, the only the only solution is, I don't know if it would work, because you couldn't get the UN involved. They're untrustworthy. But you could go to Putin and you could say, let's just forget the past. And if we don't get every Russian out, we lose. And if you don't take all of Ukraine according to what you lose. So here's the deal to quote Joe Biden, we will promise that Ukraine will not be in NATO. However, we're going to sell enough weapons, defensive weapons, you know, anti-missile tanks that you'll never be able to invade again. 
because you will pay a terrible price. They're going to be armed to the teeth. They're veterans. And here's how we're going to, we're going to have this as a demilitarized zone, the Donbass and the eastern borderlands in Crimea. So we both agree not to have uh, combat, combative arms in these areas. And we're yeah. going to have a plebiscite. And we're going to get the Indians and the Chinese and the EU and the Americans and the Russians to pledge that they'll honor what these people say. And I'll be very curious because some of these areas are 70% Russian speaking. And we're told that they hate Putin so much and that they would rather be with Ukraine, even though I understand they had a higher GDP under Putin than they did on Ukraine. But doesn't so we should allow that. And I don't know. I think there's a 30 percent chance that would work, but it's better than just turning it into Verdun. And well, right. And right now, nothing's we're, we're careening quickly to World War Three. Yeah, we are. Victor, you anyway. You've uh, you've been very gracious with your time. I just want to I want to thank you. Um, you can listen to Victor Davis Hanson on his podcast. You can go to victordavishanson.com. Uh, Victor, it's uh, been it's great having you. But I want to leave you on a happy note. Yes. And I'll get you one last comment. But Donald Trump last night had some very nice words at the very end when he was when he was live truthing. And you probably haven't seen this yet, so we're going to put it on the screen. Uh, Donald Trump said this in his final truth of the night. He said, look, we worked hard tonight. It's not a natural thing for him. It never was and never will be. But you got to give him credit for trying. I disagree with him on most of his policies, but to put into words what he felt, and he ended up the evening stronger than he began. Give him credit for that. Many things weren't mentioned that should have been. But that's another time. That's for another time. I've done a little clip. Perhaps you'd like to watch it. Good night, everybody. And God bless America. So Donald Trump left us with a nice, friendly truth last night with a nice little video. That was about Biden? That was about Biden. Yes. So mm -hmm. there it is. Okay. Well, Victor, thank well, you. Uh, thank Trump, you again. Trump always helps him out self out when he sounds magnanimous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not sure if that was sarcasm or he was. I, I think nice. it, no. uh, yeah, I think I'm not sure either. Anyway, thanks for having me. Absolutely, Victor. Well, okay. everybody, this is, yeah, this is Devin Nunes and we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot, Victor. Thank Bye -bye. you.